Hey, Julie, it's time for another episode of A Couple of Dusty Muffins. How are you? I'm good. I haven't, we haven't done one of these in a while. No, we haven't talked. No. I've just been missing you and a lot of stuff is going down. But man. we do have phone chats and we keep saying that we should record our phone conversations as podcasts, which we're going to do at some point. So yes, we are because they're, uh, well, they're, <laughs> they're just, crazy. They're, they're crazier than the podcasts. <laughs> So you're Penny Legate and I'm Julie Blacklow. Welcome to a couple of dusty muffins. Oh, sweetie. So you wanna you wanted to note something. Today. I did. Yes, I think, you know, since it's been a few days since we've had a chance to really sit down and talk, a lot of things have happened. And one of them of note, of course, is the passing of the great Bill Russell. I'm sure people who are listening right now, of course, know who Bill Russell is, and we can be happy to explain that if you don't. But even the president of the United States, Joe Biden, was talking about him a couple of days ago. And this is what he said. I'd love to share it. This is on Instagram, his Instagram post. This is just one part of it. He says, the promise of America is that we are all created equal and deserve to be treated equally throughout our lives. We have never fully lived up to that promise, but Bill Russell made sure we never walked away from it. Mm. I just got chills listening to that. He was a remarkable man. And Bill Russell was an angel in my life some decades ago when I was at the lowest point of my life and seriously lower than even having cancer. I had been fired from my job and I had nothing, no salary, lost friends, lost my career that I had spent 12 years building up as a television news reporter. Anyway, the station fired me without just cause because they needed a scapegoat based on a story we were covering. Anyway, it was a year-long battle and I was supported by my union. AFTRA, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, took my case and it was an incredibly expensive legal fight. One day out of nowhere, Bill Russell, who lived in the Seattle area for 30, 40 years of his life after he retired from basketball, he moved here and lived near Seattle. He called my union offices and said, what can I do to help this girl? I don't like what that station did to her. Mm -hmm. They had planned a fundraising event, obviously to raise money to cover some of the legal costs. And Bill Russell said, what can I do to help? Now, this is a man who never signed autographs ever. He was notorious. He didn't like to have his picture taken. He liked to do quiet, good works without publicity surrounding it. So he's very quiet in his retirement, but he never signed autographs. But on the night of my fundraiser, he came with 25 basketballs that he signed and wow. we auctioned and we auctioned them off and raised a small fortune. I bet. I, I get weepy thinking about it, frankly, even though it's been s several decades since that happened. But it's a thing you never forget when someone comes into your life, when you're the lowest you've ever been and helps raise you up. And at the end of the evening, after thousands of dollars have been raised, he put his big arms around me <laughs> and he said, sweetheart, you're going to be OK because the union has your back. And he hugged me so tight with his enormous presence, but he was such a gentle giant. And it's a moment with Bill Russell, I will never forget. So oh. he, he did a lot of good in his life beyond the basketball court. So God rest his soul. Never met Bill. No. And he just read about your case in the newspaper yeah. and he showed up and did he that for you. Up. That's the kind of man he was, wasn't this, he? A true angel. Really. A true angel. And moving now to a very living angel, we have an amazing woman guest today, a rock star, an amazing singer, a woman I'm thrilled to call friend. And the thing I love about her, I think the most, is her laugh. Merrily rushed. Just call me a 
She's alive. She's seen so many specialists. She's still alive. <laughs> still alive. And, and Julie, everybody. that was like the anthem for making love, wasn't it? In 1968, when that song yes. came out. Yes, I was having sex to that song, and 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 my <laughs> and, and my boyfriend dumped me the next morning. So what? I went back and reread the lyrics. <laughs> Marilee. That was an amazing song for its time. Oh, when they brought the song to me in Memphis, I, I listened to it and it was the the demo was done by the writer, Chip Taylor, mm -hmm. who was John Voight's brother. It was just him and a guitar and it was a horrible demo. It was just it was <laughs> gruesome. But I'm sitting there reading the lyric as I'm listening to it. And it's got the great Louis Louis chord changes. You can't beat that. And the lyric was written so beautifully for the subject that I thought, oh, my gosh, if people hear this lyric, they're going to want to hear it again. Yeah, because for its time, it was very bold. I met a, a young gal years later who said that her and her friend wanted to do the song at their high school talent show, and they weren't <laughs> allowed to do it. <laughs> so exp explain that for people who may not understand why the lyrics were so groundbreaking, especially for a female vocalist back then. Well, it was about going home with a fellow and doing your thing. And in the morning, she walked away from it and said, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. It was great. Bye-bye. It's 1968. That's pretty amazing, really. Yeah. The, I mean, the next year was the summer of love. I mean, it really was, for its time, it was so perfect because that's where it was headed. Can we just listen to a little bit more right here? Let's just listen to an, another line or two from that song, Angel of the Morning. There'll be no strings to bind your hands, not if my love can bind your heart. And there's no need to take a stand, for it was I who chose to start. I see no reason to take me home I'm old enough to face the dawn Just call me Angel of the Morning Angel the song brought you into a national recognition. International. Yeah, and a Grammy nomination. When you think back on it now, that just totally changed your life. You're a kid growing up in northern Seattle, and you have an unimagined life, didn't you? It's just kind of amazing. Well, I was playing dances up until that point. In the early 60s, we joined a group called The Statics with Tiny Tony, which was rhythm and blues. Seattle was rhythm and blues. All the bands were playing the great stuff that... Pat O'Day wasn't playing. <laughs> right? <laughs> we had our own station. We had to buy tuners, FM tuners, to get this station called KZAM that was playing all the great rhythm and blues. It was just the best time. It was the best time. And then the Beatles came along in 64 and just wiped out rhythm and blues. Right. All over the country. Everything was rock and pop, right? Yes. So we had to make that transition and started Merrily in the Turnabouts. We were playing dances, you know, every weekend. And then an old roadie friend of ours who went on to roadie for Paul Revere and the Raiders convinced them that they should get me on their tour in the South to open for them. 
So, and Paul Revere um, and the Raiders were from the Northwest too, right? Right, Idaho. Yeah, yeah, from Idaho. Okay. So we'd run into them, you know, everywhere. And Jimmy Johnson, our little, <laughs> our old roadie, he's really responsible for what happened because after that tour, they went to the studio in Memphis to finish up their Going to Memphis album. And I was just tagging along and the producer had me do a demo for him and he liked my voice. And a month later, I went back to Memphis and their uh, tour manager brought me the song, the demo in his briefcase. And we went, we got to cut this. <laughs> It so those everything. are the same musicians it, yeah, yeah. that did that song, that did all the box top stuff, 36 Sides on Elvis, Son of a Preacher Man, uh, Sweet Caroline. Wow. It was that core group in that studio, American studio. So it changed your life. Oh, yeah. 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 I got to meet Dick Clark. <laughs> <laughs> I did bandstand three times. Wow, three oh times. God. And for, for people who don't know what American Bandstand was, it was the television equivalent of MTV back in the day. I would come home from school, turn on American Bandstand in Philly, and that's how I learned how to dance. Right. And I idolized the dancers. I knew their names. I yeah. was a big fan of the dancers. Yeah. And you love to play and sing for dancers, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. See, that's something like my son who came along later never had. He played, but there was no venues to go and play in front of hundreds of kids mm -hmm. dancing and having a great time while you're playing for them. I mean, there was nothing like that. It, right. it ended in about 1970 and never returned. So we ended up having to go into the bars which I hated. You know what, what I find interesting about that, Marilee, is that you like to perform with people dancing and having a great time. Most performers that I've ever met don't like to play those venues because nobody's paying any attention to them. It has to do about the energy that's going on. The energy was so wonderful because we're playing as loud as we wanted with kids that were just having a great time. I mean, you, you had your couple rows of people standing in front of the, the stage and that was enough. And when I went into a recording studio, there was no energy. Mm. You're in a, a sound booth with nothing. Very intimidating because I had to create my own energy. And going into bars, I never drank. I really felt like I was babysitting people. <laughs> and I would just run to the dressing room and hide from them because I just I didn't like that energy. Yeah. A lot of places of the bars turned into like mini dance halls, which was great because yeah. they were dancing and having a great time and the energy was up. In fact, Joe Gersio, who conducted and arranged for Elvis, he did my first show for Vegas. He was responsible for me getting out from behind the keyboard. He said, don't use this as a crutch. Get out front and confront your audience. And it was the best advice I ever had, because finally, I became an entertainer. I saw some video of you entertaining in Vegas, girl. You were moving it. Yeah, I did that behind the keyboard, but then I got out in front of the keyboard. It took a while to get used to just being right there in front with people looking at you and yeah, expecting it's, things. It's hard to be kind of, quote unquote, naked and out there. I mean, with nothing to hide behind. Right. Right. I've had the great privilege of seeing you perform many times in more private settings, including the thrill of being in your backyard doing your summer 
during your summer <laughs> fest. <laughs> I know it's a lot of work, but I wish you'd have it again. We're talking with Marilee Rush, who's the iconic rocker girl from the 60s and is still doing it. So every year, she and her amazing husband, Billy Mack, would host this amazing gathering of Northwest singers. And some of us who didn't sing, we just like to oogle all of them. And we'd come and sit in her backyard outside her grandfather's home where she lives today. And you would always come out and sing for us. And it was wonderful. Yeah, it was <laughs> called MacFest. MacFest. Yes, it was. Uh, it was amazing. Somehow my invitation got got lost in the mail. Marilee, <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm really, otherwise, <laughs> I would have shown up. I hope I didn't hurt your feelings because no. I wasn't there. <laughs> So event. what stars did I miss? Who was out oh, there playing? Who, God, everybody. Who well, was there? Everybody? Let's hear it. Marilee. Let's hear it. Let's draw, name drop here a little bit. At MacFest, we had all the Northwest musicians, bands, Junior Cadillac, the Whalers, oh, guys from the Sonics. And they'd get up and sing and play and the Ventures. Guys from the Kingsmen. The Kingsmen were there. Kingsmen. Yes. The Louis Louis people. All these people were, you know, they would show up. Did Paul Revere show up with his crazy uh, revolutionary hat? No, but his guitar player, Doug Heath, would be yeah, there. He was there. And, um, you know, just guys from the bands. I hear Paul McCartney was turned away because it was too crowded. <laughs> <laughs> Gail Harris. Gail, oh, Gail, Gail Harris, Harris was from the Whalers. Yeah. And we lost her. Oh, gosh. What was it a year ago? Yeah incredible it's so sad because all these people who participated at MacFest, a lot of them we don't have anymore they were great parties great parties merrily would always come at the end and sing angel of the morning and we'd all sing it with her uh, and i remember the first time i met you i think it was at one of your MacFests, one of the first invitations i got to come out there and uh i you know i've met a lot of famous people in my life but i have to say merrily rush that Meeting you was a thrill for me um, and to be your friend. And I watched you on TV. So you were a star to me. It was, a, it was amazing. I want to go back to a, a question I've always wanted to ask somebody who's had a big hit like you have, Marilee. So once you did the demo and you knew you had something really, really good, wasn't there the next step happened with Pat O'Day, who, of course, was a brilliant jock here in the Seattle area, KJR Radio he broke artists left and right, and we just recently lost him as well. But tell me about what happened with Pat O'Day and your song, An Angel in the Morning. We had worked for Pat all through the 60s for his teen dances. We'd do some local records, you know, and we'd bring them to Pat. So when Angel was released, it was actually released uh, on Bell Records. We took him the record, he played it, and he went, you finally brought me something I could play. And he said, go down to your car. And we went down oh, the car, wow. turned the radio on, and he played it. And it was, it was a big influence, you know, in the country. It took about five and a half months for it to really break. That whole experience is very surreal. And, and you get disappointed so many times that you really don't get emotionally wrapped up in anything. Because it could just fall flat, you know, a day later. But that experience of hearing Pat announce the record and play it, mm. that was huge because I was so close to that. Here was my hometown playing my record. Mm. It was huge. But after that, when you watch it go up the charts around the country, that's different. That's just like, oh, is that really happening? <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't get emotionally involved with anything until it's done. Even the Grammy nomination, 
Yeah. I didn't go to LA for the awards. I stayed back east so I could be with the people I recorded the song with. And it was in Nashville and it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like going to the Grammys in LA. Wow. I was up against Barbara Streisand, uh, I think Marianne Faithful, but the winner was Dion with Do You Know the Way to San Jose. <laughs> I didn't think it was as great a song as Angel. Totally different kind of song. You know, I mean, to me. It's, it's, it's a nice song, beautiful song, fun song, yeah. but, you know, totally. Angel Apples in the Morning was uh, groundbreaking. It was. I can't think of another yeah. song yeah. in the 60s or even shortly after that that dealt with a woman thinking for herself. That's kind of amazing, really, looking back on it now. Yeah, yeah. and it was yeah. it was said in a beautiful way. Yeah, it was. It's the, 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 the lyrics are poetry. Here's a guy who also wrote Wild Thing. Wild Thing, you make my heart sing. Oh, Penny, please. Lee, oh, sorry. You have other talents. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, Wild Thing was the same chord changes. Wow. So I came back to the Northwest and just continued performing because mm -hmm. that's the only thing I had control over. They cheated out of my royalties for the first, I don't know, 15, 20 years. What? I missed all the, the big royalties early on. Well, how'd that happen? I was signed to the producer who sexually harassed me. Oh, that sounds familiar. I left. I said, I said, no. And he went, oh, I can't go into the studio with you anymore. I mean, it was just a disaster. And, you know, they make you feel like it's your fault. Oh, yeah. And the same thing happened two more times. And I went, I give up. So I just came back to the Northwest and worked bars for 15 years and became asthmatic from inhaling everybody's smoke. Mm. So I'm not bitter. I'm just, <laughs> no, just putting out a warning. It's, it's exhausting. This is a warning. <laughs> and life seems good. Yeah. You know, your life, as Julie says, changes overnight. Is that the best of times or is that the worst of times in some way? Because well, it, life becomes so dramatically different. It changed everything because all of a sudden I was I was flying down to L.A. and doing pilots and TV shows. It was a whole nother world. And I really did not take to L.A. Coming from the Northwest, we're not used to any kind of brashness. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. People are so nice here. Yeah, uh, everybody's too way too nice. Way too we're, nice. We're so nice, and you go to New York or LA, and it's a culture shock. Although I love doing TV because those people are so professional. You didn't have to worry about anything going wrong because these people are pros, especially the Dick Clark experience. He would come to the dressing room and say hi and make sure everything was fine. And wonderful people. But the whole L.A. thing was not for me. And by that time, we were losing the dances. At the end of the 60s, people on a dance floor, uh, it was a weird thing because they weren't really dancing anymore. They were just kind of floating around the floor. <laughs> I think parents got a little worried about their kids going to these dances at that point. That was nothing, right, compared to <laughs> what they do today. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah stuff right yeah. yeah i mean it was the 60s but really we were still so innocent mm -hmm. we didn't see what was coming down the path <laughs> mm -hmm. but i wanted to mention a book coming out in november by peter blecka who is like the northwest music historian he's published about 10 books but this is like the ultimate peter blecka book it's called stomp and shout there's one picture he took and put on the cover, and it's of me. Yay. So oh, yeah. So I'm very proud of this. Cover girl. Yeah. 
Yeah. And as it should be. That's exciting. Yeah. It's really, really cool. And Peter, you know, he's he's the guy. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a curator for EMP. EMP, Experience Music Project, which was founded by Paul Allen, who was yes. a, a lover of all things Northwest. Uh, Down the Seattle Center. Marilee, this is exciting. This is exciting. I, I, your book. I'm really blown away. He had another book that was big called uh, Sonic Boom. Yeah. And uh, I think the Sonics were on the cover of that book. One thing uh, people might not know about the amazing Marilee Rush is her love of dogs. Let's talk dogs. Oh, you, yeah. We all love dogs. We here. all love dogs. Mm-hmm. How did you start breeding and raising your amazing sheepdogs? And you just won some titles last this last weekend. Tell me about your puppies. Well, I bred my last pup in 2018 because I needed to just move away from there. I, I tore meniscus in my knee. My knee's never been the same. So I really can't run around a, a show dog ring. show ring yeah. at this point. Um so that puppy, the last one I bred two weeks ago, finished her championship with a five-point major, big win. Mm-hmm. And the same weekend, a relative to that dog coming from my breeding finished his championship that weekend. So it was it was huge. It was it was a big deal. We were down to three here, and um, we go for our walks on the farm every day. And so why English sheep dogs? Those are big dogs. That's a lot to manage, a lot of hair. Well, when I was 16, I, I, I got this dog book, and I really, really wanted a dog. And it was either going to be an Afghan, which I got later. I did get an Afghan at some point, or an old English sheepdog. And this boyfriend of mine from junior high school, his mother bought him an old English sheepdog, and they brought her over. Her name was Raggedy Ann, and I went, oh, uh, this is the one. So I got my first Old English when I was 16. I've had the breed for 62 years. Mm. Took me years to learn how to groom them. Yeah, <laughs> this is a lot of hair. There right. really is a technique and an art to grooming these dogs. It's called line grooming. I have been in love with this breed for 62 years and never, you know, and going to all breed dog shows, you see all these breeds that you really want. <laughs> yeah. And I have resisted that temptation over the years. I had an Afghan and he was wonderful because Afghans are not needy. You are really grateful if they let you pet them because they, they don't care. No, they don't care. You're their staff. And exactly. I love that well, because old English, they want you to pet them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're friendly dog. And the dog I got from Mary Lee is like a, like a lab. Which is like a Velcro dog. <laughs> Don't yes. leave me. I'm following you everywhere. Well, I love you, you gals. I mean, I, I, I'm so thrilled that you're doing this because you're speaking for me. We're thrilled you joined us. Yes. This has just been a wonderful time talking with you. I and- do want to. I'm not quite done. I want to ask you. She's got a high school reunion coming up. Oh, what number? And what number is 40? 60. Oh, oh holy <laughs> <laughs> you you said what is it what what number is it 60th no 60th oh 60th. and what high school did you go to here shoreline high school they tried to have these every year because people were we were losing people but during the pandemic we really couldn't do it so this is this is a big deal to be able to see who's still alive you're gonna have a great time yeah we can talk about our our hip replacements i just had one when did you have it done may how was it how are you doing and i gotta tell you you scream every time you move the first 
five days. But I, I after that, it's a it's a progression. Every day is better. Every day is better. And there's nothing going on there now. I mean, uh, nothing. That's amazing. I would never know that I had anything done. It's so common anymore. I mean, everybody's doing knees and hips. Want to and- see my star? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys want to see my scars? We're not breast she cancer. Breast surgery. I have a, you know, I was filleted to take out my kidney when I had cancer. Yeah, we've all been cut up, but we're still oh. here. Yeah, we are. We are still kicking ass. I love it. I love you, Marilee Rush. I love you guys too. Thank it's, you for having me. It's been so me. much fun. It's an honor to call you friend. Love you guys. Thank love you. you. Bye-bye. Before we sign off, a couple of Dusty Muffins is produced by Clem Daniels Productions. 